You know, as we gather and worship on this Sunday, not only do we join churches around this city, around the nation, and around the globe, lift up the name of Jesus, but we as a church in America, we are in a cultural moment this weekend with Veterans Day. And what a great reminder, not only earlier in the year with Memorial Day where we give thanks for those that gave their lives in service in the armed forces, paying the ultimate cost as we remind that freedom is never free, that on this weekend we celebrate those that have served in our armed forces. And there's some who are here today, not only in the 8.30 service who will be part of the 5 p.m., those joining online, but those in our midst in the 11 a.m. service. And we want to thank you. We want to acknowledge you. And would you stand uh, if you've served in our armed forces right now and as you stand up, we thank you very much. Now, I want you to stay standing, please. Stay standing if you would. Look around. Make eye contact with those. And stay standing, please. Stay standing. Now, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this before you grab a seat. We'll join you in a moment, so stay standing. Uh, Stand back up, sir. Thank you, brother. We, We were reminded when we look at you in this moment that we get to choose to either kind of sit back and say other people can do it, we can sit back in comfort, we can sit back in kind of self-absorption, or we can choose to step out of our comfort zones, we can step out in risk, we can step out in sacrifice, and you, women and men, you remind us ultimately of what Jesus chose. He didn't go to the cross as a victim. He went victorious. He went choosing to sacrifice. And we thank God that you're here today because we get to be reminded of who Jesus is to all of us. So let's give them thanks again. And would you stand right now and everybody, would you greet somebody next to you and thank them for serving? Welcome them to Bel Air Church. Well, good morning, Bel Air. Good morning, morning. All right, well, I've got some good news. All right, I got some good news and I got some great news. All right, what do you want first? The good news or great news? The good news? Good news? 
Interesting. The 8.30, everyone was like, great news. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So uh, the good news. Uh, we, uh, if you've been with us the last week, I, I introduced a, an opportunity in the month of November for us to give in gratitude to a variety of things, not only uh, within this church, but within this city, through our partners and around the globe through our partners. And actually, why don't you pull out in your bulletin, there's a, there's a piece of paper It says gratitude. You can find out about it uh, if you missed us last week or need the refresher. Remember, uh, I shared that the goal was that 100% of our church family would be able to participate in gratitude, and you can give through a variety of uh, ways. In fact, you can give online. You can write the word gratitude on a memo of your check or on the envelope, maybe perhaps towards the end of the service. There's actually secure giving boxes in the back. You can slip it in. You can even follow the directions to text uh, a phrase to a number and a link will come back. All right, long story short, uh, we, we had a goal of $60,000. Now, here's the good news. In one week, we made it more than a third of the way there. $22,000. Absolutely remarkable. Now, now, again, this is in the month of November. Uh, that enables not only people to experience Thanksgiving through our turkey baskets. This means orphans in the Congo are now able to go to school for an entire year. That means people who are living in homelessness will be able to receive care and shelter and the good news of Jesus Christ for a night. It means that our missionaries will be supported. Uh, but we have that goal of 60,000. Okay, so that's the good news. We're already a third, more than a third of the way there. We still got a lot of November left. You want to hear the great news? <sighs> I'm the eternal optimist here. Uh, more than 950 of you still have an opportunity to be a part of this. <laughs> I mean, that's great news. So, so okay, so, so if we, we have about 1,000 in attendance on a Sunday, so if 5% have give, gotten us a third of the way there, what would the other 95% do? I, We'll find out, right? We will, my wife and I have yet to give, so we get to be a part of that 95%. Now, if it goes above and beyond $60,000, every single dollar is going to go towards this year's commitment for our local and our global partners. So we have such an opportunity. Again, the, the longing for, the desire, the goal is that 100% of us would be able to participate, no matter how small. And so our hope is that you would simply give a different type of gift this Christmas season. Maybe consider uh, giving uh, a gift to a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor to say, you know, uh, you know, in your name I gave a dollar or five dollars or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. And it went towards this. Take a look at the things that my church is doing. In fact, if you give over $34, we have uh, ornaments actually out in the narthex. It's our uh, area before you go outside on those Christmas trees, you can take one with you and, and give that as a gift. It's a gift that keeps on giving. You can give it to them and say that this is a reminder. When you see it, a reminder that I gave in gratitude for you. So again, great opportunities for us in this season. And as we march towards Thanksgiving, as we march through the month of November, we're also in a sermon series right now called Gratitude. And if you were with us last week, uh, you remember that there were opportunities for us to practice during the week, ways in which we could be thankful but not just a surface-level thanks, but a deep God-given, a Jesus-centered, a Spirit-filled gratefulness. And I made the point that if our roots grow down deep in gratitude, then certain fruit will be evident in our lives, the fruit of generosity. 
This week we're going to talk about the fruit of grace. Next week with Pastor Kim preaching, she's going to talk about the fruit of joy in our life when we have a gratitude that comes from God. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go verses 14 through 21. And once you get there, why don't you shout out whatever page that is. What, you didn't want to be second this week, did you? He had, a, he had a streak of like 15 weeks in a row. What page again? 939. Oh, it's on the screen. Is that how you've been doing it this whole time? I thought you were just fast. Well, somebody beat you to it last week. Seriously? Oh, my gosh. Ron, we'll talk later. I memorized scripture. It's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul, one of the early leaders of the church, writes, the church in Corinth and us today, for the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything, everything has become new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's word. All right, so in the same way as last week, we're going to talk about the root and the fruit, the root of gratitude and the fruit of gratitude that is grace. Now, we think about this idea of roots getting deeper and deeper, I want us to take a look at uh, just, just one, one verse. Why don't you flip forward to Ephesians 2.8. You see, if you, if you understand Ephesians 2.8, this one verse, uh, the way that God intended it, or even just a, a smidgen of how God intended it for you, you, your life will be absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude. Grace will flow out of your life. You'll be a graceful person. Uh, you'll extend to people forgiveness. Uh, you'll have this ability to live no matter what the circumstances, no matter what you go through in life. It'll be absolutely transformed. Let me read Ephesians uh, verse 8 in chapter 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now let's pause there. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And the Apostle Paul says there in Ephesians 2.8, he says, It's a gift. Now, the problem is, 
When we hear the word free gift, uh, we hear it differently as Americans in 2017. Actually, we hear it differently than any other culture at any different time period in human history. Because we actually live in a world right now where free gift equals cheap. I want you to think about this for a moment. We are at a cultural moment where there are more free gifts than at any other point in human history. How many of you have ever gone to a certain drive-thru and gotten a really happy meal with a little free gift? Now, how many of you was that the best gift you ever received in your life? Any kid know? How many of you have been to a conference and gotten a swag bag? You get back to the hotel room and you dump it out and all of a sudden you're like, what is this? Anybody that, right? How many of you have that one particular aunt? You know her. She sends you the same thing every year. The same thing and you're like, oh gosh. Again? Regifting. Regifting is an idea that has never existed in human history. You see this idea of a free gift in a dispensable culture presupposes us to completely miss the indispensability of the gift that God gives us and the infinite cost of the gift that God gives us. You see, I want to grow your roots a little bit in gratitude. And you've got to understand it's a gift, this thing that God gives us. But you've got to first understand, if you're taking notes, the the indispensability of your need for that gift. And second, the the infinite cost of that gift. All right, I mean, you think about these free things that you're given in life. Okay, uh, and even if it's more expensive, somebody gives you a nice coat, uh, a car, a home, I mean, these things, I mean, they're amazing But it's more things in a culture where there's more things. And we live in a society where we know very personally, intimately, that just because we have more stuff, just because we have a new phone that, uh, you know, has a letter but is pronounced 10, uh, you know, that these things don't, they, they, they don't... They don't give us all that we need. I remember this moment, uh, gosh, a number of years ago, in my immaturity as a 25-year-old, I went to Uganda to lead a mission trip. And once I got there, I sat down with one of the pastors, and I thought I was coming in kind of, you know, with all the answers, uh, with all the resources. And I sat down, and I said to the pastor, I said, okay, uh, how can I help you? Super arrogant, 25-year-old, right? We've all been there. And, uh, you know, how can I help you? Uh, What is your greatest need? And Pastor Dongo just... He laughed a little bit. Oh, Brother Drew. (laughs) We are poor, he said, in financial wealth. That's true. But you are poor in relational wealth. What's more important, he says. And then he turned it. He says, how can I help you? What needs do you have? (sighs) I've stopped dead in my tracks. I had equated uh, thriving, success, joy, abundance, very narrowly. And he pointed out something that I was missing because I knew the brokenness in my friendships. I knew the brokenness in my extended family. And it's true that every single human being, they might be rich in something, but they're poor in something else. Just in terms of earthly terms. I had a mentor of mine many years ago. He said that the the down and out and the up and in are equally desperate 
But we go throughout life thinking that we have everything. And therefore, when a gift comes our way, we, 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 we say, well, well th- thank you. Th- thank you, as my son says. Thank you, you know. <laughs> but we have no idea how desperate we are, how indispensable certain gifts are. It's a way of an illustration. Imagine if somebody came over to your house and they saw a bill on your kitchen counter and they said, you know, I, I'm feeling generous. I, I'm going to pay for that bill. Now, if it's $5, you might say, well, thank you. You know, if it's $50, you'd say, thanks. You know, if it was $500, $5,000, if it was the last 15 years of taxes that you've owed the IRS and someone says, I'm going to pay for that for you, I mean, you would quickly be overwhelmed with gratitude, would you not? You see, the deeper the debt, the deeper the poverty, the deeper the need, That if somebody fills it, if somebody pays that down, if somebody meets that need, pays that debt, whatever it is, the deeper it is, the deeper the impoverishment, the greater the gratitude when it's wiped out. Now, I'm just talking about finances. Now, imagine, and and I've sat down with individuals who are currently waiting for a heart transplant. Members of our church. And I've also sat down with some individuals who their name was called and they received a heart transplant. Absolutely overwhelmed, more than any financial debt that could be paid, a new lease on life. I mean, it's the whole point of the movie Fight Club, the book Fight Club. I mean, if you have this experience of near death and all of a sudden you now have life, you're overwhelmed with gratitude. Talk about an indispensable gift. A heart is not dispensable. But here's this interesting thing. As I've sat down with individuals who have received a a heart transplant, they've, they've known that somebody else had to die. Uh, It wasn't just something that somebody just gave. Somebody else had to, to die in order to receive that heart. And many of us, we might say, oh, well, yeah, that's, I know where you're going, Drew. <laughs> oh, I got it, Jesus. You're about to talk about Jesus. Well, let me get there in a moment, but here's, here's the problem. Most of us, when we think about our sin, we think of it as a sickness. We think of it as a problem. We think of it as something that gets in the way, like a cold, a flu, cancer. And we think that, why? Because does it say in Scripture, uh, we are sick in our sin? You know, it never says that. It never says that we're sick in our sin. It says that we're dead in our sin. And some of us, we think church is just this place that we go and we kind of get a spiritual flu shot. Or that we're, we're kind of going for our yearly uh, checkup or a monthly checkup, uh, we might think that this is maybe where we go for our spiritual trainer. I, I just want my life to get better, so I want a little bit of Jesus to, to kind of improve my life. I've got my gym membership. I've got my, you know, my, my, my health uh, guru. And so this is kind of spiritually where I want to get a little bit better. And when you think that sin makes you sick, you're missing out on how impoverished you actually are. Because the reality is this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to hear this. Poverty in spirit is the only soil fertile enough 
to allow the gift of God's grace to take root in our life. Poverty in spirit. Uh, in Matthew 5, in the, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing that Jesus says in his very first sermon, in his, the beginning of his public ministry, what's the very first thing he says? He doesn't say, do this. He doesn't say, measure up. He doesn't say, don't do this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He says, basically, everything that I'm going to do, everything that I'm going to teach, everything that I'm going to be able to say begins with this truth, this point, that unless you are poor in spirit, all the seeds of truth that I plant in your life, all the gifts that I give you will never take root. And the problem is that many of us, we go through our life and we're not poor in spirit. We think that we measure up. We think that we have enough. And yes, maybe some of us think that, oh, I have needs in this area. The majority of us, I would say, don't think that we're dead in sin. The reality is that you were born in this world dead, spiritually. You are born into this world physically dead. You see this idea of a heart transplant, you might say, okay, I, I know you're going to kind of jump to Jesus and you're going to say, he gives us a spiritual uh, heart transplant. Well, yes, that's true, but there's more than that. Let's, let's, let's pause on that for a moment. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. We read verse 8 a moment ago, but let me go to the very beginning of that chapter, Ephesians 2. What page is it? It's on the screen. It's on the screen. Wow. What am I creating here? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ephesians 2. It says this, you were dead, not sick. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Now let's pause there. Now if some of you are saying, well, I'm not that bad, that is a sure sign that you were dead. If you say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, it's a sure sign you're dead. If you say, well, well you, know, I, you know, I'm showing up to church and I'm doing all these things, and how can you say that? I'm, I'm a good moral person and I give and I'm here, aren't I? I was here last week. I'm not dead. Then you're the worst kind of dead. You're dead and you don't even know it. You see, there's different uh, levels of sickness. But there's not levels of deadness. You're either dead or you're alive. Romans 3 says that we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We are all, we're all dead. Our bodies are decaying. We are in a trajectory where we're going to spend eternity apart from God. Uh, apart from Jesus, I'm dead. Do you have any idea? There's nothing that I've done that can earn God's love. There's nothing of my life that's memorable apart from Jesus Christ. I am nothing. Even the Apostle Paul, he, he lists a whole bunch of things in Ephesians. He says, all these things, all the good deeds that I've done, when I actually consider it, it's actually, I consider it rubbish. And here's the amazing thing. The bad things that you've done make you completely dead. The good things that you've done, 
if you think that those good things will earn you God's love, equally make you just as dead. This great quote I heard a number of years ago by uh, Tim Keller, a pastor now retired in Manhattan, he says this, that often we need to repent of not just our unrighteousness, but we need to repent of our self-righteousness. We're dead. Spiritually and physically. That's where the metaphor of the heart transplant from just a spiritual standpoint uh, hits the end of the road. Because the physical transplant that people are so blessed to get on life, on earth, physically is, a, is still a faulty heart. And everybody that I know who's received a heart transplant also knows that they have a new lease on life, but says, but, but this heart one day will fail. But look what Christ does. Keep Ephesians 2. Verse 4 open says this, but God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You're given something you don't deserve and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, not your good deeds, so that no one may boast. This leads me to the, the infinite cost of this gift. You know, the people that I know that have received a, a heart transplant here on earth know the fact that, that somebody had to die in order to receive that heart. And it's this, this weird thing of, uh, on one hand, gratitude, but also this, this weird relationship with a sense of, but, but someone had to die. Somebody who was on the donor list. But imagine, this has never been done before, Imagine if somebody was at the pinnacle of their health, the pinnacle of their career, somebody that the world looked up to, somebody that people looked at and said, wow, this person deserves an award. I mean, we might know of these people on this planet. We might think of people that we say, gosh, that, that's a great example of a human being. That's somebody that, boy, that worth naming my kid after. Now imagine if that person, completely healthy, completely thriving, completely successful, healthy family, career, all these things, all the awards, imagine if they chose to give their heart to somebody that needed a heart transplant. I mean, imagine if it was somebody that the world depended upon. I mean, wouldn't people say, no, 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 don't do that, you're healthy. Don't choose to do that, that's crazy. Look what you're doing for society. I mean, you run that company. You just invented that thing. You just won the Nobel Prize. You're doing all these things. No, 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 no don't give up your heart. And imagine if the person says, no, 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 I'm going to choose to do that. I'm going to give my healthy heart, my thriving heart to somebody in need. Imagine if that person received that gift. Imagine the depths even deeper of gratitude that they would have because it wasn't just not by choice of somebody passing, it's somebody who actually chose to give them that heart. Don't you realize that's what Jesus did for you? 
Scripture says that Jesus was the only fully human, yes, fully God, but fully human being that lived the perfect life. There's no one in history that has lived a more successful, from God's point of view, life. There's no one from God's point of view that lived a more worthy, a more noble, uh, one who is deserving of all of our praises and adoration and awards, having our kids named after him. There's nobody who is more at the pinnacle of human existence than Jesus. And by choice, he goes to the cross to get the one thing that he didn't have, to win back a relationship with you. You see, if you go to the beginning of Scripture, you were created to live forever, physically and spiritually. God created you so that your heart would never give out. Your brain waves would never flatline. And what Jesus does is he gives his perfect record, his perfect life, righteousness, which means to be approved by God. He gives it to you. And he takes your brokenness. He takes your sin. He takes your deadness. He takes all the good things that you haven't done. He takes the bad things that you've done. He takes all of it upon himself and he defeats death. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which we read earlier, that that God made Jesus to be sin. He didn't sin. He didn't choose those things. He became sin after living the perfect life so that, so that we might become the righteousness of God, the great exchange that happens on the cross. You see, Jesus paid it all by choice. At infinite cost to himself, he gave you life. And the more that you can set down your roots in the soil of a poverty of spirit and Maybe here's a great exercise this week. Maybe on a piece of paper, write down poverty in spirit. And I want you to begin listing all of your mistakes, all of your shortcomings. And then I want you to list all of the good things that you've done that you think God should owe you for. See how poor you really are. And we don't like to bring these things to mind because we, we, we know it hurts us and we want to avoid those things, but until you realize how poor you actually are and you actually have to practice being poor in spirit, you have to see how desperate you are for Him. Then you can cross all of those out and write Ephesians 2.8. That He brings you to life. That these things haven't destroyed you. He gives you new life, a new hope. You are a new creation. Here's what Jesus does, not just spiritually, but physically. He's going to give you a new heart, physically. He's going to give you a new mind, physically. He's going to give you new eyes, physically. He's going to give you a new body, Scripture says, and the new heavens and the new earth, one that won't give out. So therefore, right now, in this place, before we experience the fullness of what it means to be in His presence, there should be fruit of grace, that flows out of our life. You see, if, if we just give people what they deserve when they wrong us, we're not extending grace. And chances are we're not receiving that gift of grace from Jesus. You know, I don't know about you, but there's oftentimes in LA traffic where I'm the 15,000th person in line to make a right-hand turn in rush hour, you know what that's like, Uh, and you make your way up, and it takes about a week to finally get to number three before the light goes through, and you're finally there, and then finally somebody pulls in. No! I mean, I waited. 
I did what I was supposed to do. How dare you? You don't want to know what I do. Oh, in my heart, I'm talking about. I, I don't do it demonstratively. Uh, if you look in the rearview mirror, oh, that's Pastor Drew. <laughs> Confession? I am killing you in my heart. Because <laughs> what does Jesus say? He says, when you curse somebody else in anger, you've murdered them. And then why is it when I, I'm late and I pull in, no, it's cool. Why is that? There's certain days where I'm that person slipping in. But God has called us to receive that gift of grace and now to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. You can read about it again. We read it earlier. This idea that we are now part of extending grace to others, that we are not counting people's sins against us or their trespasses against us, that we are forgiving them in Christ, that we are extending grace to them in Christ, that actually through our lives we have an opportunity to be emissaries for, ambassadors for, messengers for, so that every single moment of every single day at the grocery store with our kids, with our boss, with our friends, with our family, with our enemies on social media, we have an opportunity to extend grace, to absolutely change the world. What does Jesus say? He says, they will know your my disciples, because of your love for one another. It also says that people will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven, but that has to start by first receiving the gift of God in faith through Jesus Christ with empty hands. You don't hold on to your bad deeds. You don't hold on to your good deeds as if you've earned it. Empty hands. You receive it by faith. My hope and my prayer is that you would write down on a piece of paper, a note card, a 500-page journal, how impoverished you are. We don't like to go there. We don't want to acknowledge that we're dead. But I'm telling you, the deeper that you go into your poverty, the more that you're going to realize the absolute indispensability, the infinite cost, the joy, and the deep gratitude that comes. Because Jesus says, that is, that's covered over. That's paid for. That's wiped away. I love you. Let's pray. Loving God, as Bonhoeffer says, we cheapen grace when we think that it isn't costly. Would it be the most expensive thing that we've ever received in our life, something that we can't even fathom? This promise that you give us to give us life now, this life for all of eternity, this life to the full. So God, would we understand the depth of our need for you? Help us to become poor in spirit so that we can receive in faith your kingdom. Jesus, we thank you for your love and it's in your precious son's name we pray and we say together, amen.